Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Well, I hope you're doing awesome. Start off with some good news this morning. Uh, we have met and discussed it and talked about it, and we will be reopening church services three weeks from today. So the first Sunday in July, July 5th, we're going to start meeting in person again. Um, we are going to do things differently than we have in the past. Um, we're going to be starting off with an 8.30 a.m. service. And so we'll have that service in person and then hopefully be able to get that recording posted online by 11 o'clock so that those who continue to stay home can still be able to worship uh, at 11 o'clock with us. So I'm excited about that. I'll be uh, passing on more detailed information uh, as time goes on. I'll be trying to give, you, give everybody a, a phone call this week. So uh, let's, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for your unending love for us. Father, we thank you that you are our steady rock, that we can look to you and, and, and lean on you through all times and all places. Father, we thank you for your immense love for us. And Father, we thank you for showing us exactly who you are so that we can be more like you. Father, we look forward to that beautiful future that you have planned for us and that kingdom that you have created, that we will spend eternity with you forever. But Father, we are even more excited and thankful, Father, that you don't make us wait until the day that we die, but that you come to live within us right now and that you are with us now. And so, Father, we thank you so much for that. Father, we thank you for making a way for us to be forgiven and for saving us. And we love you, Father. We love you from the depths of our heart. Father, I pray that as we go through the service today, that you would open our hearts and open our minds and help us to see your true character in your word and that we would draw closer to you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, Exodus 19. And so this was where God had told Israel that they were going to be a kingdom of priests. And as a kingdom of priests, as his holy nation, that they were going to show the rest of the world how to live with him and be in right relationship with him and ultimately to be saved uh, from this world that we live in forever. And so let's look at the, uh, those verses real quick. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, just as a refresher. So it says, In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So at Mount Sinai, after God had delivered the, the Israelites uh, from slavery in Egypt, He brings them to this mountain that we call that Mount Sinai. He brings them to the mountain. 
And here, he offers this relationship with them, this covenant relationship that they can enter into with him. And so what he does is he, he, he meets with the people. He tells the people that they can't come up onto the mountain because he's so holy, but that he is going to descend down on the mountain and he's going to speak with them and he's going to offer his terms of entering into a relationship with them. And so this is what, this is what he said to them. Picking up in the very next chapter. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, Don't be afraid. For God has come to test you, so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Notice this this verse right here in uh, verse 20. It said, Moses responded to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come to test you, so that you will fear him and will not sin. And in essence, God gave the Ten Commandments so that they would not sin. God was teaching them how to be holy, how to live a life of not sinning. And sinning is anything that God thinks is wrong, anything that God doesn't want us to do. So in essence, the Ten Commandments is a picture that helps us to see God's own character. It helps us to see how he would live, what he would do, what he would not do. And so he's trying to teach the people to live like him. He's trying to teach the people to be like him, like their father. He doesn't want them to sin. He doesn't sin, and he doesn't want anyone else to sin. 
Now, we call this the Ten Commandments. Uh, but this is the first part of a much larger section. Uh, we, we typically refer to it as the law, God's laws that He has given us. And the, the, the Ten Commandments is the part where God speaks these Ten Commandments and the people are all present and the people all hear the sound of God's voice. The, the Scripture says they, they say that it sounds like thunder. And so this powerful, immensely holy God comes down to Mount Sinai and he speaks so that all the people can hear. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now he know he knew what was going to happen. He knew that they would be terrified. They knew that they would recognize their own sinfulness. They would recognize his holiness and that they would not want him to continue to speak to them because they were afraid that they would die. And so they asked Moses to go, him to go and speak with God and then just come back and tell us everything that God said. And so God knowing what was going to happen, it's important because God chose that the part that he was going to speak to the people, you would imagine, and I would, I would imagine, would be the core of his message, the most important things that he would want to say. And so we refer to that first section and, you know, the law continues. There's, there's hundreds of commands that God gives. But that first section, we call it the Ten Commandments. And so if a person were to follow those Ten Commandments, they would have a pretty good handle on pretty much all of their life, of all of sin. Um, and so uh, Jesus, when he was asked what was the greatest commandment, he ended up summarizing it down to two from, and so when, when Jesus summarized it down to two commands, he said the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, but here God gives the people 10 basic rules that if they would just follow those 10 basic rules, then the majority of their walk and their life would uh, would look just like him. But he goes on to give very specific rules and hundreds of rules, and he goes on to give a lot of detailed rules, um, especially in, in Leviticus, of what to do when we sin, how to atone for those sins, how to be atoned for. But the law, the, the purpose, the main purpose of the law, the law, if I, if I were to give you three basic purposes of the law, the main purpose of the law I would say, would be to show us that we have sinned, to convict us of our sin, and to help us recognize that we need to be saved. Um, Paul, well, no, let's jump. Uh, yeah, Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 7, he said, What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And this is an example that I've used from time to time. In America, you have what's commonly known as the American dream. Um, and if summed up in simplistic terms, it's, it's get an education, get a good paying job so that you can have a nice house and have all the stuff that you want. Uh, America tends to teach and indoctrinate this idea of um, pursuing lots of possessions in order to make you happy. Um, and, and so 
The idea of coveting is not frowned upon. It's actually marketed. And so coveting is not being content with what you have, but desiring what your neighbor has. Because that's the first step. Wanting what someone else has, that's the first step that leads to eventually stealing what someone else has. Or not being thankful for the things that you do have. And so God says that coveting is wrong. Coveting is a sin. But in America, if you were to grow up in America... You wouldn't believe that coveting is a sin. You you would just think that was just normal way of life that, that that you should want better the better things that other people have that you don't have that you should want those things is promoted not discouraged. And and Paul refers to the same the same uh the same commandment. He said, "I wouldn't have even known that that was a sin had God not told me that that was a sin." And so that's what the law does. God tells us and shows us in the law what he has determined is right and what he has determined is wrong. And so the only way we know what's right and what's wrong is by looking at the law. If God didn't give us the law, then it would, everything would be subjective. It would be whatever the, the, the majority of people say is right or the majority of people say is wrong. And so we would, we would determine our own right and wrong had God not given us the law. But by giving us the law, the law therefore is good. It shows us who God is, how He want, how He wants us to live. It shows us what's right, what's wrong, so that we can navigate this life. So the law therefore is very, very good. It's very good according to Paul. But here's the problem with the law. The only thing the law does is it convicts. It convicts us of of our sin. Now that's that's a good thing in the sense that we have to be convicted of our sins to recognize that we need to be saved. So we have to be convicted to recognize that we need uh, a solution. We need to be saved, and therefore we need Jesus. And so in that way, it's a good thing. But the law itself cannot make us righteous. The law itself cannot save us. The only thing the law can do is condemn us. The only thing it can do is hold us guilty. But the law is supposed to show us how to live holy lives pleasing to God. It's supposed to bring us to God. It's supposed to show us how to walk with Him. And it's supposed to keep us humble as we walk with Him. So not only does it convict us in order to bring us to salvation, it, it, that's, that's the three purposes I would say. It convicts us of our sin to bring us to salvation so that we can be saved, so that we lead us to repentance and ask Jesus to save us because we recognize through the law that we can't be saved, that we only can be guilty. So it brings us to salvation. It also shows us once we're saved, it also shows us how to walk with God because it tells us what God's character is like and God tells us to be holy for He is holy and that we should turn from sin. And so it tells us what God has determined. This is sin and this is not sin. And so it helps us, it, it brings us to salvation, one. Two, it helps us walk with God. And three, it helps keep us humble as we walk with God. Because it's a reminder to help us realize that we're all guilty. That, that yes, I was lost, now I'm saved. But I'm saved not by following the law. I'm saved by the grace of God who saved me because the law held me guilty. 
The law made sure that I was guilty. I could not save myself by my obedience to the law. See, pride comes up when you think that you're good enough that you deserve to go to heaven or you deserve to be saved or that that you follow it to such an extent that you've earned your righteousness. That, that That's what pride is. But God wants us to be humble. He doesn't want us to be proud. And the truth is we can't follow the law good enough to earn our righteousness. That our righteousness is given to us as a free gift from God. That God has graced us with salvation and forgiveness. And therefore the law keeps us humble to recognize that we are all guilty but that God is gracious and loving enough to forgive us of our guilt. Paul told 1 Timothy in chapter 1, verses 8 through 17, Paul said, Paul said this to Timothy about the law. He said, But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. And that's important. The law is good, provided that it is used correctly, that it's used in the right way. He said, we know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that can that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we see there very clearly, Paul, Paul made several very important statements. First, he said that uh, the law is good provided that it's used legitimately. In other words, it's used to show us that we're guilty. As long as we use the law to show us that we're guilty, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and then we, in, respond, in, in turn, have to respond. We either respond, respond in humble repentance by recognizing and admitting our sin and choosing to turn from sin and to ask God to save us, or we respond in rebellion to deny, to say that I'm not a sinner or, or I'm not, you know, I, that I, I don't want God to, I don't want to submit to God. I don't want Him to tell me how to live my life, that, that it's not wrong, that what I do is not wrong. And so we have two options. And so Paul said first that the, the law should, as long as it's used legitimately as good, it shows us that we've broken the law, that we're guilty and therefore need to be saved. And Jesus alone can save us. And He desires to save us. And God wants to save us. 
But also, he goes on to talk about how he recognized that he was lost. He, was, he, he claimed, he said that Jesus came to save sinners. And that, then he said that I am the worst of them all. And so we see Paul has a humble attitude, a recognition to say that I am no better than anyone else. And so he uses the law legitimately. He recognizes through the law that he is guilty and undeserving of, of salvation, undeserving of eternity, to spend eternity with a perfect and holy God. But that he said that he was saved by, by God's grace, that his faithful love and graciousness towards Paul saved him. Paul didn't say, I then therefore perfectly obeyed the law and followed it to the T and therefore knew that I earned my salvation. Paul didn't use the law as a way to earn his salvation. Paul used the law to recognize his guilt and then to look to the grace and mercy of God and Jesus Christ for his salvation. And that kept Paul humble. And therefore, we too are to stay humble. So the law can only be used to show that you are guilty. It cannot be used to earn your salvation. And so I'll give you a really quick um, analogy to help you understand. No amount of good will undo the bad that you've done. So if you say, okay... I read the law, I recognized that I'd sinned, I recognized that I was guilty, and therefore I'm going to follow the law, and therefore I'm going to spend years and years and years of my life following the law very well to the best that I can, and therefore that is what my sign of salvation, that is my sign to know that I am therefore secure and saved because of my obedience to the law. And so the example would be if you take someone who's, let's just say, 75 years old, And for 75 years of their life, they have been a morally upstanding individual. That they followed the laws of the United States, that they haven't ever went to jail, they haven't ever broke the law. They have been perfect, as best that you can can imagine. And then at 75, for whatever reason, they decide that out of anger that they're going to kill their neighbor. And they, they murder their neighbor. And then they go... They get arrested and they go to jail and they're standing before the judge. That 75-year-old person cannot then look at the judge and say, I know that I broke one law, but I've got 75 years of following the law under my belt and on my side. The judge will say, none of that 75 years of obeying the law, none of it matters. None of it. None of it will wipe away your guilt of breaking the law by murdering someone. And so that is, that's, that's the, the function the law serves. It shows us the way we're supposed to live. It shows us how we, God wants us to live. But just breaking the law one time, the law holds us guilty. It does not hold us, um, it does not wipe away our guilt. All the obedience to the law that we can rack up doesn't wipe away the guilt of breaking the law. And that's why we recognize that we need someone to save us because obedience to the law cannot save us if we've broken the law one time. Paul goes on, I'm going to finish with this, Paul goes on to tell Timothy in chapter 2, a a few verses later, he says, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, 
for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. And so I want to point out two things as we close. One, that Paul urged us that we should be praying for, interceding for, petitioning for our leaders, our president, our government leaders, our local leaders, everyone who is in authority, and, and governmental authority specifically in this context. And so, so that, here's the purpose, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Because this pleases God, that we would be able to, if by respecting our, our leaders and praying for our leaders and praying that, that God works in the hearts of our leaders and that God will, will put into position godly leaders, that they would allow us to live godly lives in this society so that we can live quiet and tranquil and peaceful lives with our brothers and sisters and therefore have conversations with them have conversations with our neighbors so that we would be able to discuss the the law and God's love for them so that we can see everyone come to salvation because that's what he follows it up with. He says, um, this is good and it pleases God our Savior, verse 4, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that type of environment of being able to share that gospel message in peace and in love with our neighbors uh, is comes much more easily when we can live quiet and tr- tranquil and peaceful, peaceful lives. And so I would encourage you, especially in today's state, that you would be praying for our authorities, that you would be praying for our leaders, that we could do just that, that we could live uh, tranquil and, and quiet lives with our neighbors, have conversations with our neighbors, tell them about God's love for them so that they can then embrace God and look to Him for their salvation and that we could lock arms together as brothers and sisters in Christ um, living this life together moving forward towards a peaceful peaceful life and a a peaceful future where we all uh, obey God and look to His law and recognize that we have all sinned and that we are all guilty and that we are only saved by the grace and mercy and love of our, our Father, Jesus Christ. And then we will pursue to live the rest of our lives as He tells us to live, as He would live them, and as He did live in the person of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And so I want to ask you, have you made that decision to follow Christ? Have you made that decision to, have you recognized that you too have sinned uh, and that the sin and the, the law itself, that God's law holds you guilty, not innocent, and that no amount of your good efforts or, or, or years of obedience or trying to live a good life is going to wipe away the sins of your past? And, and so God offers to completely wipe away your sins, to completely forgive you if you would just humble yourself, turn from sin, turn to God, and look to Him alone for your salvation. 
He will forgive you. He will come to live within you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And He will make you into a new creation. And if you don't know that for sure, I don't want you to take another moment without knowing for sure. I want you to make today the day that you decide that you will turn from sin to God and that you will trust in Him alone for your salvation. And if you have any questions, you can email me at yatesvillebaptistchurch at gmail.com and I will try my best to follow up with you as quickly as possible to help you work through these questions that you may have that may be keeping you or hindering you from making that decision to follow Christ. Because God, as the scripture says, um, that God wants everyone to be saved. Verse 4. This is good and pleasing to God who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And everyone includes you. God wants you to be saved. He loves you and He wants to spend eternity with you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the law. Even though that it holds us guilty and shows us that we have sinned, through it we can recognize good and evil and we can recognize that you are a good, good God and that you deserve our obedience. You deserve our love. You created us and knit us together and fashioned us in our mother's womb. You brought us into this world. You created our souls and placed them in our bodies because you desire to spend eternity with us, that you want us to be saved, every single one of us. And Father, we thank you for that love. And Father, we thank you that you took the steps to 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 forgive us, that you came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect and holy life that we could not live, and died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And so, Father, I pray if there's a single person listening to this message right now, that if they have not made that decision to follow you, that they would make that decision right now that they would decide, they would do as you asked them to do, that they would turn from sin and they would turn to you, that they would get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that they would join together in a local church where they can worship you and grow as your disciple and then turn around and make more disciples. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the work that you're doing in their hearts, and we thank you for the work that you're doing in ours. Father, we ask for, we pray for peace, and we pray for, for tranquil and quiet lives. Father, we pray for your presence and, and your love, because only forgiveness, only love can heal our wounds. And so, Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for forgiving us and enabling us to forgive others. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. I look forward to seeing you, church, and I pray that you'll have an awesome, awesome week.